Well, hello and welcome to episode number 341 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, a passenger on everyone's favourite low-cost airline flies to the Ukraine instead of Spain. There's a surprise announcement as the UK airline is resurrected, and there's a new life for one of BA's 747s. In the military this week, the legendary F-117 Nighthawk continues to fly regular training missions. Australian F-35s are declared operational and Boeing's loyal wingman unmanned fighter aircraft is nearing its maiden flight. So joining me this week on the show, as always in the PTUK Master Suite studios, not stressed one little <laughs> bit it is, of course, Matt Smith. Yes, I'm sorry about that. We just, like, seconds, I think about five minutes before we were supposed to be going live, we discovered that we got no sound going to YouTube, which was, uh, you know, potentially a bit of a problem, let's be honest. But, yeah, we got there. We're on air. We're, we started on time. That is that is an amazing achievement, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, you fixed it. It was like, literally like the last minute there you fixed the um, problem. <laughs> no, well, yeah. yeah but I know you could. That, that's why whenever I get a problem, I ring I ring Matt, as I have done this week. It, it, yes, indeed, yes. I, I still don't know how that happened. Carlos managed to have a Windows update that basically lost not all of his files, <laughs> just a handful of important ones, uh, which <laughs> is the, the weirdest thing oh. like, ever. Yeah, all the downloads and everything, all the, most of the folders were still there, but one folder with all his work in was just gone. Yeah, and yeah. it had. And I know exactly what Nev's going to say about that. What would you suggest in that scenario, Nev? I can't say any more because <laughs> I'm like a stuck record, aren't I? Not at all. Uh, I'm very uh, much singing from uh, your song sheet there, my friend. Yes. But uh, no. Well, hello, everybody. Hope everybody's well. It's been a hectic week here uh, with organising filming and stuff like that for, for next week. All sorts mm. of things have been going on. But uh, yeah, very good, uh, very good week, though, and uh, glad to be back on the show. Good. It's good to see you again, Nev, as always. And uh, just for just for a change this week, um, we, we've got um, another co-host with us on the show. Who uh, I think is is it your contractual time again to be on the show together as you know as a group or? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because we've got him back again this week. It's awesome to have him on as always. It is our awesome fourth part of the uh, hosting team. It is of course the the legendary Armando. Hello, guys. Uh, yeah, this is one of, well, we're nearing towards the end of the year. So I think Nev and I have three more times that we can be on the show together for the contract. So. <laughs> Between now and Christmas. Right. Oh, God. This is number 15 for the year, which is okay. pretty good out of right. 52. Yeah, it's not, not a bad average. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Just got to say, Armando, you've got some rather nice models on the table behind you and on the wall. A nice picture there. Is that a PA28 on the oh behind you? Oh, my goodness. Carlos, you are come fired on. from this aviation. Oh, uh, come on, though. <laughs> This is a Lancer 360. I am missing the tail, to be fair, Armando. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, this is the Lancer that I used to own, and then uh, the platypus that I was flying until just a couple weeks ago, and our our friend the Osprey. Oh, beautiful. And when, when I come this up... is I'm actually in my new office here at uh, at the hangar, so I had to close the window because there's all kinds of airplanes taxiing by and bears. Oh, and... no. Oh, you should have left it open. Yeah. I know, right? You make it sound like that's a bad thing. <laughs> I love it. I love so, it. So uh, how, how are the new ventures going, uh, Armando? Great. I spent a week out in California getting the airplane dialed in for some of its uh, contract stuff. It's just an awesome little airplane. It's great to grow my beard back 
and uh, <laughs> and still be able to fly an airplane. That's really what this is all about. I, just, I, 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 I say I seem to recall. I, I seem to recall Megan saying, asking two questions. Was it one? Is it is you know is it you know financially viable? Two, can I regrow the beard or can you That's regrow? It. Megan can't grow a beard at all. That's a totally different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly on, um, Nev, you have got a little update for everyone, haven't you, Nev? Yes, I mean, trying to keep up with where you can go and where you can't go Good and what that. quarantine rules are, I've, I've given up, honestly. They, I'm sure they make it up as they go along, but there has been an update on the no quarantine travel list from the UK, and the following is going to be added as of Sunday evening. So that's all the Canary Islands, but not the rest of Spain or the Balearic Islands. So that's Mykonos as well, Maldives and Denmark, surprisingly. So that brings to 58 the number of countries, territories, collectives, uh, collectivities, uh, dependencies and islands you can arrive on to without needing to self-isolate. And I'm really hoping that Gibraltar remains on that list because that's where I should be oh, flying. Oh, yeah, you are, aren't you? Weekend. <laughs> so let's uh, keep our fingers crossed. But that's, uh, that's a good one because the Canary Islands this time of year, um, actually nice temperatures. Certainly uh, Fertiventura, Tenerife uh, could be well into 26, 27 degrees. And also it's a good place to go for some Christmas uh, heat as well, so quite mm. often 22, 23 degrees there, so uh, that is a good thing, isn't it? So. Excellent. And uh, we'll also have the link in the show notes if you're listening uh, to the audio version. If you'll click on that in the show notes when we uh, publish the show, you'll be able to see that list as well, so that's great. So, we're going to say a big hello to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Uh, loads of people in there tonight uh, checking up on the technical uh, issues and stuff but uh, <laughs> Mick Codling is in the chat room Lane Street Richard Adams hello to you uh, Rick Bell hello to you Rick Bell uh, we've got uh, Graham Haley and uh, actually Nick Codling we've got your competition entry in actually this week as well uh, we've got uh, just scrolling down uh, Graham Haley so James J hello to you James J Air Commander hello to you Air Commander Stephen Ivey it's nice to see Stephen in as well. Auntie Liz as well is keeping an eye on things in there as well in the chat room. Our main man, Micah, our blue spanner of death, is in the chat room keeping an eye on things as well. Alan White, hello to you, Alan White. Stephen Howland, uh, I'm just scrolling down, make sure I haven't missed anyone else. But don't forget as well, if you do uh, listen to the show as an audio version and you want to come over and join us on a live broadcast on a Friday night, don't forget to uh, look us up on YouTube, Plain Talking UK. Go onto our uh, page, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon, which is right next to to the uh, subscribe button to be notified when we go live and record a new episode. And then you can join everyone here in the chat room and uh, obviously uh, send us your comments through the chat room, which will be great. So thanks for that. So I suppose, guys, you better move on with some, some commercial news. So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone's ready, yeah, ready. let's go. So, kicking off this week's first story, this one is on theguardian.com, and uh, it's 
actually quite good news for a change. It's always good to start the show with some good news. So the headline, Flybe. That, let's be honest. I know. Flybe could, could be back next year after a deal is struck to restart the airline. So Flybe could be flying again next year after administrators announced a deal had been struck with investors to restart the regional airline. The Exeter-based uh, Flybe went bust in early March with the loss of more than 2,000 jobs as the impact of coronavirus uh, crisis and passenger demand proved the last straw for the struggling airline. The administrator's EY said Flybe's brand and remaining assets had also been sold to Time Opco, a company affiliated to Cyrus Capital, which had pumped money into the Virgin Atlantic-led rescue attempt in 2019. A Time Opco spokesperson added, while we plan to start off smaller than we were before, we expect to create a valuable airline industry and jobs and restore essential regional connectivity in the UK and contribute to the recovery of a vital part of the uh, country's economy. Uh, Simon Edel, a joint administrator, said the restart of this iconic brand, which was once uh, Europe's largest regional airline, will provide a potentially significant boost to aviation jobs, regional connectivity and local economies. Unions gave the news a uh, cautious welcome, and the pilots' union, Balper, said it was just the start of a long journey to a new flybee, but it would give confidence to the aviation industry that was re uh, recovery is on its way. Uh, the deal could mean Flybe restarts a, as a regional airline in the UK in early 2021. Mm, be good to see that. Uh, administrators said they would work with the new owners and the UK's Civil Aviation Authority, or the CAA, uh, to prepare for its return to the skies. Flybe currently has no planes or assets beyond office equipment and intellectual property, and the status of Flybe's air operating license, uh, revoked when it entered administration, remains to be decided by the CAA. So whoever's uh, took this on, this uh, OOPCO, Time OPCO, they're, um, they're going to have a hard job with the airline until they buy some aircraft. I mean, forgive my um, naivety here, perhaps, but given what on earth is going on at the moment, is it really worth trying to start another or restart another airline in a in a time where, you know, I mean, I, I guess there's plenty of pilots floating around. That is one thing. At Very least, but... optimistic, I think, with any date. You know, you mm. we we've seen on the news so much over the last few weeks dates been coming up saying we're going to start this in 2021 we're going to do this in january 2021 but who knows well and also my, my other thing i'm sort of thinking here is you think well you know while the company still had assets for example uh why, why on earth wasn't there a deal on the table like you know i mean obviously when flyby first went under of course there wasn't really the you know it hadn't sort of taken hold like it has done now either has it i mean it, I, I don't know is is i'd be delighted to be proved wrong and I, I you know it'd be great to have another airline sort of fire up and uh, and that but i mean never i mean is it is it the right time really well the thing is i think what's happening here is if you bear in mind the the routes that fly be operated throughout europe and more importantly as well the regional parts of the uk you know exeter to um, uh, to um, uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow, for example, mm. but those sorts of routes. If you fast forward to, let's say, the end of quarter one of next year, which will be just about the spring, hopefully 
we might be uh, turning the corner as far as this COVID thing is concerned. Yeah. And therefore, it will be exactly the right time to operate. Now, whether people will have the, um, the money to fly anymore, mm. I don't know. But actually, I think it's a very bold move and it could just work for them. Well, that, that's well. Then this is why we have you, Nev, because I'm all doom and gloom on it. So that's a. <laughs> I, I I would be light delighted for you to prove me wrong. I'll be honest with you. But uh, actually, incidentally, yeah, I've just couple. been sent a picture by uh, Nick uh, Codling. Just FYI, sorry, I'll come to you in a moment, Armando. Sorry. Uh, there's a um, uh, Nick Codling's just sent me a picture. Look, it's just like we're, we're on telly, guys. We're on telly in his lounge. <laughs> It's, it's always, I, I'm so sorry that, you know, television is so crap these days that you have to turn to... You, you uh, did always say, Matt, you always wanted <laughs> oh, to be I, on the big I screen. What I do like, I, I, uh, there's some excellent cable management. Oh, is there? Oh, well, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's study that more. Well, you've oh, got, you've got the that. big thumbs-up approval from the legend Fantastic. that is Sunev there, Nick. The, something lovely. to be very proud of, I think. Obviously, this is totally wasted on those lovely people listening to the audio <laughs> version of this, so I apologise <laughs> for that. But uh, anyway, sorry, Armando, I, I rudely interrupted you. No, it's fine. AV is way more important than aviation. <laughs> uh, now, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think we did a story on on the evolution of aviation after this COVID slowdown. And if, that's an understatement, right? But uh, I, I think it, I think some airlines are are poising themselves to to be different. So I know the airline that I was just working for up to a couple of weeks ago was. Um, taking this as an advantage to take a look at their route structures, take a look at uh, some of the routes that other airlines like American, Delta, uh, United had given up to some of the smaller underserved communities and they were scooping them up. So uh, I think some of the, here in the US, at least some of those essential air service carriers, including as a carrier as big as SkyWest is actually picking up more routes than they did before the COVID slowdown. Um, so I, I, I think a lot of us in the industry knew that it was gonna be uh, just a terrible you know, just some airlines were not going to survive it, but some would come out looking a little bit different um, and, and possibly even succeed or, or even be more successful after the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the sound of that. Uh, as I say, it's uh, as you say, perhaps it is being used as an opportunity to literally restructure, as you say, and sort of uh, get yourselves in a better, stronger position for because this, you know, whether it be hopefully next year or even if it's in sort of two or three year time, two or three years time. I mean, this will come to an end. You know, I mean, I know everybody, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. There is a lot of us who are feeling very miserable right now about the situation that that we will find ourselves in. But you know, there will be an end to it at some point and then we can sort of you know restart can we, can we have a big party yeah. when it's over man. i think we should yeah absolutely yeah. there needs to be a lot okay. of ale and a lot of okay. you know a lot of good times going on it i i need to apologize guys i've got a real problem with the light i've just had a load of my lights fail here in the studio so there are real gremlins in the studio tonight i'll be glad if we ever actually get to the end of it uh i'll tell today. you what yeah i'll tell you what not man. help but yeah i'll tell you what i i've also got another <laughs> screen in the studio here which i've not had before so i can actually see everybody on the call <laughs> Uh, this time and I didn't realize that we have to sit here and watch uh, producer John stuff his face with pizza every single week that's a bit it's a bit rude yeah. <laughs> absolutely. at least at least he's in uniform well that's true yes absolutely yeah. we're in the PT just in a, as a so Matt, comment oh yeah, real on. quick Carlos has a follow-up yeah. comment uh, in the chat room we have on it on a very good authority a an employee of SkyWest Airlines that um, up to 18 percent of their daily flights at SkyWest are now up to 
essential air service routes. So, oh. and they, we were a direct competitor with Sky, with SkyWest on mm -hmm. the essential air service part. So, okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, what? Sorry, just explain to me what that what that means. What's the significance of that? The essential essential air service, in a nutshell, is where the communities and the Department of Transportation here in the U.S. get together and say that there's a, a business opportunity or or an advantage to the community for have uh, for having government subsidized flights in and out of a of a city. Right. So this may be there are um, specifications to this, and the city has to be so far from a major hub or even so for example i used to live in clovis new mexico um it was just far enough from amarillo lubbock and albuquerque that it it qualified as an essential air first air service um city which meant that the airline whatever airline um and this would be up for uh, renegotiation and bidding to the department of transportation between about five six different airlines um that that airline would get a a, a subsidy re regardless of the seats that they fill right um, on the airplanes um, now there's there's uh, some math that goes into that you have to there's some performance metrics but yeah. um, but that's basically what it means is the government stepping in saying hey we want to stimulate the economy here in this uh, smaller community so we're going to subsidize the air service right okay cool it's uh, so I mean, we have something sort of similar don't we i guess with uh, you know what they call key routes here i think nev is that correct where which i know certainly like a lot of um uh, like the flyby routes and stuff that we were talking about earlier you know but because uh, i think logan air if i'm correct have taken a few of those those particular yeah. routes on yeah yes yeah, so yeah. things like the channel islands for example and the highlands and islands up in scotland mm. uh, certainly those remote places that absolutely yeah indeed uh, anyway we could talk about this for hours we'll move on to the next story this is on the independent.co.uk website <laughs> and uh, hmm, yes good luck everyone it's a ryanair story and it says that ryanair passenger ends up in ukraine instead of spain uh, the independent employ the independent employee oh sorry i was about to read out an advert for the independent there should i read it anyway the independent employs over 100 journalists around the world to bring you news that you can trust to support the independent. yes anyway yeah subscribe to the independent if you if you can anyway a woman claims she ended up more than 200 2500 kilometers away from her intended destination after boarding the wrong ryanair flight uh inca Fa uh, inca Falver, uh 30 says that she was due to fly to valencia in spain but was somehow able to board an aircraft bound for kiev in the ukraine uh, the bartender didn't notice that she'd walked to the wrong gate for her early morning flight from stansted airport to the 18th of on the 18th of october and apparently neither did any of the gate agents responsible for checking her ticket falling asleep shortly after takeoff uh miss falver uh who lives in london didn't realize she was heading to the wrong country until the plane touched down it's only when she saw the airport signs that it clicked all into place i got so scared as the police started approaching me no one spoke english and they kept asking me for my passport she told the daily star i don't understand how my ticket got scanned and passed and how I came here without a visa. Uh, Miss Falver uh, claims that her ticket had been scanned at the gate before boarding and had been checked a few times, but that nobody noticed the error. Uh, I even asked on the plane what time I should arrive in Valencia, and they told me it would be two hours and 15 minutes long. Um, one, uh, once she realised what had happened, Miss Falver became scared and started crying. She said that the staff were confused about how she'd ended up there and kept asking to see her ticket for Kiev. Uh, 
I kept showing the ticket for Valencia. They couldn't understand how this happened, she said. The situation was exacerbated further by the fact that Ryanair does not have a ticket desk at the Kiev airport, according to Miss Filer, who um, said that she had to rely on other airport employees to help her. Eventually she was rebooked on a flight back to London the following day with an onwards ticket uh, to Valencia also secured. It remains unclear how the ticket scans failed to identify the error. I mean um, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened has it? Let's be honest. I think EasyJet have had similar problems. I think you know mistakes do happen. Um, now um, Carlos, I think uh, there's some uh, details that, because uh, John had been doing a bit of digging about this story, and I understand there's a, a few details in there about, you know, possibly how these things can actually happen. Yeah, it says, um, so obviously there's the system that alerts the gate agent to the fact that boarding pass is prob is, is problematic system. Uh, has only one, uh, only has one sound for any alert that it creates, which is going to be bloody confusing. Uh, boarding passes can have lots of reasons to set off these alerts. Um, duplicate seat, uh, seating, wrong flight, wrong boarding group, or someone who needs assistance due to not having a particular language, or persons of reduced mobility. Um, the old systems are old, and many are using systems uh, like the uh, video that Matt, uh, I think you just shoot that video, mm, didn't you, yeah, as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, also... I, I mean, I suppose we don't need to go into the the alarming detail really there, but there, there, you know, these there's lots of uh, uh, information. I, I suppose it's, the thing is, as you say, with all the various alerts going on, I, I guess, uh, I, I guess a, a small part of me is surprised that I, the, the people checking them on the plane, they're probably just checking for seat numbers, aren't they? I mean, I'm surprised, you know, perhaps. Uh, okay, apparently they're not. I'm being told in my ear. I thought they were sort of checking. To, absolutely not. Apparently, I'm being. I'm. I'm. I'm close to being shouted at. I think, uh, but with how inaccurate I'm being with my my information. But well, I that, guess it, that's why we do this, right? It's learning how. Because uh, Matt, you're the perfect example to bring up some things mm -hmm. that are assumptions from a passenger viewpoint, and all of us in the industry are like, ah, you would think so, but you'd be scared when you find out that we don't actually do any of that stuff. <laughs> That's you know, I, 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 one of the, as we were kind of researching the story and, uh, and producer John was putting some background information, I think one thing that was interesting to me was the headcount. So I always had a headcount. I had to do a headcount as a first officer and report to the captain. Here's how many seats we have. Here's how many bags we have. Sort of a double check with the gate agent uh, with the final manifest. But we found out and researching this that Ryanair counts the first five rows and the last five rows for weight and balance purposes, which I thought was was kind of interesting. They don't count the the, the whole middle part of the airplane because it doesn't really matter for weight and balance. And that that probably cuts shoot two three minutes from from the whole boarding process if you don't have to count all those people. Very interesting. Indeed, I suppose it's just. Um, I, I I mean, how do you go about preventing something like this? I mean, I suppose primarily you have to put some of the onus on the passenger for it because it is important that you go to the, to the correct gate. I mean, that's probably yeah. the best. Well, correct gate. You have to listen. I'm, I've flown Ryanair. You guys have all flown Ryanair. You know that they say the destination quite a few times. Mm, they do. Uh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think it's uh, important Nev looked horrified, I should stress. We've made this ter terrible general assumption that Nev's flown Ryanair. I mean, it's just like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, 
say that uh, on a flight from Heathrow to Edinburgh once, uh, the uh, gate agent came on and went on to the PA and says, Any, anybody expecting to go to Glasgow today? And 20 people put their hands up. They said, you're on the wrong plane. It's the next gate. <laughs> No, so, really? Again, again, it's on a domestic flight, so it's less p- problematic. But 20 people did get on our flight. Um, and no wonder there was some seat argy-bargy going on mm. because there were duplicate seats and all sorts of stuff happening. Yeah, so, it can happen for the best. So somebody's yeah. gone, oh, I know what's happened here. Uh, who's on the wrong flight? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, again, I mean, there's bits in the, the note, notes here about sort of saying, you know, how did she not hear the announcements? Um, I mean, they, they do, you know, they are making announcements all the time, aren't they? Uh, I, I would argue perhaps sometimes um, accents can be a factor here, perhaps. Oh. Also, one of the things I would comment on is the fact that um, the person doing the PA often does it at a, quite a fast rate. And if you're not tuned in to, to what's being said, there's a lot of background noise and all that kind of thing. So again, I mean, there's loads of reasons why this happened. I guess is 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 what we're getting at. But uh, you know, there, there there is a concern. I, it shouldn't have happened at the end of the day, should it? But uh, you know, you you can blame it on crew. You can blame it on passengers and stuff. At the end of the day, it was just an, you know, it, it was sorted out, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. But also, of course, you mustn't you mustn't forget. Of course, the crew will be ultimately responsible for this because the person is you know ended up the wrong place uh, in that, and who knows? Somebody might even get fired off the back of it. Who knows? <gasps> So, moving on to the next story, Nev, and good news for BA and 747 lovers. Yes, of course, we're always always hearing about 747s being decommissioned and, you know, not not being used anymore, especially the BA ones. But uh, there is one of them that's going to start a new life as a film set. uh, And an Arizona man is going to look to start a sushi restaurant in a decommissioned 747. (laughs) Let's talk about the first one first. The uh, a retired BA 747 aircraft set off for a new role as a film and TV set in Surrey on Thursday. The aircraft was handed over to Dunsfold Aerodrome near Cranley, where it will be preserved as a commercial film set and training facility, according to British Airways. The plan is for the 747 to feature more prominently in front of the camera and to be used as a mock-up for interior and exterior shots for TV and film. The aircraft registration Gulf Charlie India uh, Victor Whiskey uh, and that uh, TPG UK departed from uh, Cardiff Airport yesterday as flight number BA1978 Echo, landing at its new home at Dunsfold Aerodrome shortly after. I bet that uh, airport wasn't in the flight management system. Put it in there, didn't they? Uh, but it'll keep the Chatham Dockyard livery and be stored in a public view on the airfield. Eventually, BA say that the aircraft will be opened up as an exhibition for visitors to experience up close the size and scale of the fondly named Queen of the Skies. Now, we have um, an absolutely stunning picture here, and our thanks must go to Andy Durst, who has very kindly given us permission to show this picture. And, I mean, it's just... Uh, it's, so, basically, for those of you listening to the audio podcast, we'll make sure, because I think this was actually found in a tweet, if I remember correctly, mm, so we'll make, yeah. sure we, we'll make sure that it's in the show notes here. But uh, to describe the picture very uh 
basically. We, we've got uh, the aircraft that Neva's been talking about here. And just underneath the photograph, because it was taken in one of the most iconic aircraft in the world, it's just the, the you know, just a casual wing of a Spitfire uh, flying over the airfield, taking a picture of the 747s on, on the ground. I mean, it is just a beautiful picture. So, I mean, kudos to Andy Durst for that. It is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Are you surprised, Nev, if they didn't choose one of the retro ones to uh, to fly? Yes, it would have been nice, wouldn't it, to to have done that? Yeah, um, but um, well, you know, who knows what happens behind all the decision making of these things? But uh, but uh, talking of seven four sevens, elsewhere across the pond, uh, the seven four seven three hundred registered as November three four three nine Foxtrot is located just east of Penal uh, Air Park in Marana, uh, Arizona, which is famous for countless stored and scrapped jets. Even though its wings have been clipped, quite literally actually, uh, the aircraft will not see the full extent of the scrapyard. The 34-year-old airframe was adopted from the storage yard, storage yard by Toshikazu Tsuki, who goes by the name Ski, which I'm glad about actually because trying to <laughs> pronounce that name uh, too often could be a problem oh, uh, but um, Ski is looking to initially make the area a selling space for his aviation themed furniture items he also wants to experiment with the space seeing what fits best whether that's a hotel event space or a sushi restaurant it's going to be a sushi restaurant adds Ski the former engineer also entertained the idea of turning the jets into a rental event space for meetings, weddings, and other events. Now, not many couples can say they've tied the knot on the Queen's uh, Queen of the Skies. The possibilities are endless for an airplane that traverses just about every corner of the world. Well, that's uh, some novel usage uh, of that uh, airframe, isn't it? Yeah, started off life, Nev, back in 1986, that uh, 747-300 with Sabina. Such uh, a bad experience, never again. That's what it stands yeah. for. <laughs> Right, I've not heard that one before now. <laughs> no, I, that. That. I like that. I like that. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> moving on to the next story. Armando, uh, you've got uh, the next one about uh, new fuels. Truly a global podcast. The Deccan Herald, which is an Indian newspaper from India, uh, Microsoft and Alaska Airlines have announced a partnership Thursday to use sustainable jet fuel to offset emissions from the technology giant's employee travel. So under this agreement, Microsoft will cover the costs of fuel produced from sustainable resources like waste oils, agricultural residues, which will res result in reduced carbon emissions. This is part of Microsoft's initiative uh, to be carbon neutral by 2030. This also calls for Microsoft to purchase credits from the, for the fuel from alternative energy firm Sky NRG. Uh, according to them, they're saying that we are excited to partner with Alaska Airlines to make business air travel a little greener by using sustainable aviation fuel supplied by Sky NRG to reduce the carbon impact of the flights Microsoft employees fly most. Uh, that's according to uh, Microsoft. We hope this sustainable aviation fuel model will be used by other companies as a way to reduce the environmental impact of their business travel. This agreement applies to Microsoft employee travel between its Seattle headquarters and airports in the San Francisco Bay and Los Angeles areas, which are the most popular routes for the company. Uh, additionally, the company will explore expanding the program in the future to other ex uh, destinations. The two firms said that they hope others will follow their example and expand the market for sustainable jet fuels. 
So that, this is a unique way to do it. They're buying fuel credits and then essentially giving them to Alaska, Airline, uh, Alaska Airlines. Uh, I thought this was a good, innovative way. You know, we're always, we're always thinking about going green here too. And uh, it's really interesting. So I'm glad Microsoft is doing this. It's a great story actually, isn't it? It's, um, it's uh, an interesting video that, that accompanies it with, uh, some of which, which I was uh, putting in, uh, underneath the, the back of it, which is sort of the story. Uh, for I'm being told apparently I shouldn't have played that then because it was for a different airline. Uh, so this is, I think, is for KLM actually. Um, so it's a minute long. Should we, should we give it a quick listen? That's probably the easiest thing, isn't it? Let's, let's play the video and see what it's all about. How sustainable is flying for business? For companies and business travelers, flying is often the only option for transport to reach distant places. But flying around the world leaves its mark on our planet. The KLM Corporate Biofuel Program offers companies the opportunity to reduce their carbon footprint. Sustainable fuel still costs three times the price of traditional kerosene. And our partners in the KLM Corporate Biofuel Program pay a fee that covers the difference in costs. The support of the participating companies stimulates the availability of sustainable aviation fuel on a larger scale and helps to make it economically more competitive to kerosene. Thanks to this program, we're the first airline in the world to fly daily on sustainable aviation fuel. This is our journey to more sustainable aviation. That's KLM and their dream, I suppose, uh, to be using more sustainable fuels. Um, it's, yeah, and, uh, and to be clear, the, it is KLM Airlines, but the sustainable fuels manufacturer is the same. The supplier is the same. This is Sky Energy. Now, in our research, we did find out that this actually costs both companies about three, maybe up to five times the cost of the normal jet fuel. So, you yeah, so that before COVID, it was three to five times before. So, you can it kind of gives you an impression of how important they are making this both Microsoft and Alaska mm. airliners that they're willing to spend this much to set the example, maybe give them a little bit of bragging rights, but to set the example for the future of aviation. Well, also, I guess, uh, you know, on the flip flip side to that as well, it, you, you know, it's the more you create of something, the more affordable it becomes. I mean, that's the, the thing is it's sort of supply and demand, isn't it? So I, but you, with any of anything like this, somebody's got to dig deep to, to, to take the first step, haven't they, really, before you can you can go there. So, I mean, you know, kudos to, to the people involved, including Microsoft for for, you know, literally trying to go green. Just hope they don't update anything and lose everyone's files. Right. Okay. Moving anyway, on. Uh, the next story. He's, he's a bit bitter about that, isn't he, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. <clears throat> Two hours to sort all out. Anyway, um, next story is on. It's a very important story. This one, very, very important story indeed, uh, about a uh, very important subject and a good charity that I do support. So this one comes to us from the dfnionline.com website. And uh, Qatar Airways supports Breast Cancer Awareness Month with Think Pink Flight. So Qatar has shown its support for Breast Cancer Awareness Month with a Think Pink Flight that drew a symbolic pink ribbon in the sky. Uh, the QR9901 flight was operated exclusively by women, including ground operations, technical and dispatch teams to the flight deck and cabin crew, and took a special route to create a ribbon image above Qatar. 
uh, with its flight path being displayed in real time by popular flight tracking sites. It took off from Hamad International Airport on the 17th of October at 9am local time and landed back 65 minutes later. Passengers on the special flight received an exclusive Think Pink service, including an announcement from the captain, uh, pink, think, uh, pink themed food and beverage treats, which look really nice, along with Qatar Airways Think Pink wristbands and limited edition BRICS immunity kits. Uh, Qatar Airways Chief Executive Officer, His Excellency Akbar Al-Baker, said Qatar Airways is a very strong supporter of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and all the incredibly hard work that goes into research and development to help beat breast cancer. Uh, together we hope to reach as many people as possible and help save lives. Earlier this month, Qatar Airways introduced an exclusive Think Pink experience for passengers in the sky as well as in its lounges, offering custom design limited edition amenity kits and pink themed special menus on selected flights throughout the month of October. Yeah, it's, it's really good to see um, um, a, a, quite a big player in the airline industry doing something like this. I think it's something that um, a lot of other airlines should do, I think, for uh, for charities, especially uh, one as important as this. Don't you think, guys? Absolutely. I mean, and also it's, uh, I, I suppose it's, uh, there's a lot of aircraft sitting around not doing a great deal at the moment. So, you know, why not, you know, do a bit of decent PR and... And and cover something like this. I mean, as you say, it's a it's a great charity at the end of the day, isn't it? It's uh, and they did a good job with the ribbon. Uh, yes, not bad <laughs> at all. I mean, it's uh, how how would one organise a flight plan for that, Armando? That one's for you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only way I know how to do that is to put it on for flight, draw a little symbol, and then go fly it. Now you can you can upload the waypoints to the FMS. Uh, pretty much for any design nowadays, any, any pattern that you want to fly. <laughs> okay, that sounds like mischief right there. Uh, I was going to say, well, we've, <laughs> we've seen some of the military pilots get in trouble with that. They're getting creative and, yeah. you know, their their artist skills are maybe not for public consumption. <laughs> no, indeed. I believe military it's... being inappropriate, how surprising. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? The military being inappropriate, how surprising. I know, I know. Shocking, <laughs> shocking and or brand new information. Uh <laughs> Okay, uh, we're going to move on to the next story. This next story yeah. is all about your favourite thing, Matt. Right. Okay. Long flights. Uh, oh, goody. Uh, <laughs> okay, Simple Flying is the website, and the headline is... Um, uh, okay. Um, okay, right, sorry. Yes, so Sing Singapore uh, Airlines returns to New York with world's longest flight. Uh, the longest U.S. domestic flight also gets back in the air. So next month, we celebrate the return of the world's longest scheduled passenger service. On November the 9th, Singapore Airlines is relaunching its route to New York. This time, Singapore Airlines will fly into JFK, whilst historically it was flying into Newark before. Whilst uh, uh, passenger demand is bound to remain suppressed due to travel restrictions, the carrier expects a significant cargo market. On the 25th of March this year, the world's longest regular passenger service was suspended indefinitely. However, it would seem that, that, that the date for resumption of Singapore Airlines' record-holding route has been decided. Beginning on the 9th of November, Singapore Airlines will offer a thrice-weekly, that's three times a week, non-stop service between Singapore's Shanghai Airport and New York's JFK. Uh, the flights have been given different numbers than before. Previously designated uh, Sierra Quebec 21 and Sierra Quebec 22, they will now be operated as Sierra Quebec 23.
Flight Sierra Quebec 24 will operate on Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays. It'll depart from Shanghai Airport at 2.25 in the morning. Sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Changi Airport, my apologies. Um, <laughs> and arrive at JFK, JFK at 7.30 uh, in the morning. Uh, the estimated flight time is 18 hours. Oh, kill me. Kill me already. Uh, 18 hours and five minutes. I won't care by the, by the time ew. I reach 80 minutes. That's all I have to say about that is ew. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially in coach. Uh, the return service of uh, Sierra Quebec 23 will depart from JFK on Mondays, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. And it will push away from the gate at 22.30 and uh, arrive in Singapore at 6.10 in the morning. Not only, uh, not only plus one day, but plus two days, of course, with a flight time of 18 hours and 40 minutes. Skipping an extra day is to be expected. Uh, the flights will be operated by one of Singapore's A350-900 long-range aircraft. They are configured with 42 seats in business, 25 in premium economy and 187 in the main economy cabin. Uh, this is compared to how Sierra Quebec 21 and 22 used to be flown in a configuration of 67 business and 94 premium and economy seats with zero economy seats. Uh, looking elsewhere, the world's longest regularly scheduled domestic flight, Boston to Honolulu, is set to resume. In December, Hawaiian Airlines will be resuming its full 13-city US mainland network. Starting in December, Hawaiian will fly two times a week, non-stop, between Boston Logan International Airport and Honolulu's Daniel K. Uh, Inui. Sorry, I probably said that wrong. International Airport. HNL is the uh, airport code anyway. Uh, so the flight is scheduled for 11 hours and 15 minutes. Hawaiian will also be reinstating flights from uh, HNL to New York uh, JFK International Airport as well. So, um, well, I suppose when things are as quiet as they are, I suppose you might as well be doing, uh, you know, sort of yeah. might as well be but doing also the. The 35900 is a pretty nice aircraft. I flew on that to uh, Helsinki with Finnair, and uh, yeah, even in the cheap seats, it's it's really nice actually. So, but okay. whether I'd want to spend 18 hours and five minutes on one is another matter. But Carlos would because because he's weird. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the long and the short of that. Obviously, he's just weird. I, I mean, I don't know. Is is this the future though? When you think at the moment, obviously people are a bit nervous about you know, changes in airports and all that kind of thing. It's that sort of landing somewhere else and sort of moving on that. I don't know. Are more direct flights um, likely in these very strange times? Difficult mm. to say, isn't it, really? Um, I don't think anybody knows what the flying pattern of anything's going to be until, mm. you know, well into next year. But, of course, um, the airlines have to prepare for all sorts of eventualities and at least we are getting back to some kind of flying at the moment if you compare that to where we were in march or april this year uh, at least things have improved in that area but uh, yeah we'll have to see comment in a chat i say comment in a chat room from lane street um could we try and mention covid a bit more because lane's feeling sober oh dear right okay we know we need to put that right then don't we we don't, we don't, yeah. we don't want anybody to dry out do we no <laughs> Inua, apparently. Apparently, Micah has corrected me. But the, it's Inua Airport, I should have said. My apologies. 
So the next story, moving on to you, Nev. We all love a good old-fashioned punch-up on board an aircraft, so um, what's going on? Well, actually, uh, John, our excellent producer, always gives um, some information to us about what's, what's coming next and what video Matt's got to play. And he says, uh, warning, distressing scenes, physical abuse and censored language. Uh, I thought that was the last PTUK production meeting, <laughs> Frank. How uh, dare you? But... Um, <laughs> It has all kicked off on this flight. Uh, this is the moment an EasyJet passenger is slapped by his wife after going on an anti-mask tirade and causing a mass bust-up with other holidaymakers. This is the moment an EasyJet passenger refusing to wear a mask gets slapped by his wife uh, as his foul-mouthed tirade sparks a massive bust-up with other holidaymakers, it says. Shocking footage shows a man going on a rant against face coverings during a flight from Manchester to Tenerife on September the 6th. The man tells his wife, shut up, you bleep imbecile, before she is heard slapping him. He is then said to have retaliated to the slap before others jumped to the woman's aid, with one heard asking him, what are you doing? Flight attendants can be seen intervening towards the end of the video, telling passengers to sit down. The person who filmed the footage told Mail Online uh, the guy was shouting and swearing about the fact we are now having to wear masks and our freedom and lifestyles restricted. Things quickly escalated from the shouting and all hell broke loose when his wife slapped him, only for him to retaliate and uh, other, to have other passengers intervene. Uh, an EasyJet um, spokesman told the Mail Online, EasyJet can confirm confirmed that police attended flight EZY1907 from Manchester to Tenerife on the 6th of September due to a passenger behaving disruptively on board and refusing to wear their face mask. In line with new guidelines, all passengers are currently required to bring their own face mask for their flight, which must be worn during boarding and on board. EasyJet's cabin crew are trained to assess and evaluate all situations and to act quickly and appropriately to ensure that the safety of the flight and other passengers is not compromised at any time. While such incidents are rare, we take them very seriously and do not tolerate abusive or threatening behaviour on board. On its website, the airline said that face masks must be worn throughout the flight, in the airport and at the gate when boarding the plane. This is mandatory on all EasyJet flights and will not, you will not be permitted to, to board if you arrive at the gate without one. I think that's pretty clear, instructions there. Uh, but this fella uh, wasn't in the mood for any of that at all. And I'm just wondering if, they, if the flight was actually going uh, from Manchester to Tenerife, which it was, um, there aren't that many diversion options there, depending on how far they were into the flight. And that's probably, you know, a, a 30 or, or 35,000 pounds worth of uh, diversion if they had to do that. So uh, pretty, uh, pretty poor show, I think, from that gentleman. Well, you know what? Here's my take on this. I'm glad he did it in public because now he's been exposed. I think that that behavior probably isn't the first time he's done that. So I know probably going a little off topic from aviation, but um, I'm really proud of the passengers, the fellow passengers that mm. came to her rescue right mm. away. And, you know, I, I can only hope that his wife is in a better place now that he's been exposed like that around the world. Here we are talking about it and just terrible, terrible that anybody would do that. Lifetime ban, as far as I'm concerned. Indeed, oh, totally. Uh, Richard Adams is saying lifetime ban here. from life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so easy 
uh, so Easy still haven't issued those cattle prods we mentioned before then, which I think is a good point. Uh, that would have been lovely, wouldn't it? Make life a bit easier. <laughs> what was that? Or something like that would be good. Yes, very effective. What was that sci-fi film with Arnold Schwarzenegger that had the six sticks? I, I forget which film it was now. What did you say? Had these, they had these sticks. They used, they used to they, they zap people in it and it made them sick. Six. Sick, sick, sticks. sick, sick. Okay, sticks. right. It was a sci-fi film. I'm sure it had Arnold Schwarzenegger in right. it. Anyway, okay. I've got a headache. Moving on. <laughs> the chat room. Uh, the chat room will know. The chat room will know. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Armando, you have got the uh, next story, and uh, it's uh, it's a nice story. This one. I like this one. Yeah, it's actually a great segue from the last story. Uh, considering the, the comments that I just made, this is from Flying Magazine, the legendary Flying Magazine. So according to Women in Aviation International, data from the FAA's Aeronautical Center from December 31st, 2019, showed 664,565 total pilots, of which 52,740 were female. That's 7.9% of the total pilot population in the U.S. That's up from 5.69% uh, of pilots in 2000, uh, with a little bit more than 50% of the total U.S. population being female. Uh, that basically shows that the number of women flying remains uh, just surprisingly low. This uh, company, Indy Atlantic Films of Lakeland, Florida, recently released their feature-length documentary called Fly Like a Girl. It's a project that took about three years to make from the first interview until completion, according to their executive pro producer, Matt Wyatt. Fly Like a, a Girl dives deep into the topic of genderless flight, and it's a joy to watch from the first few frames. Uh, director Katie McIntyre-Wyatt brought together a stunning cast of strong, successful women who have succeeded in aviation, all to make the point that hopefully the, the project will be seen as a documentary that can make a difference. Fly Like a Girl is more than just a film. It's a movement of young girls and women relentlessly pursuing their passion for aviation, a field currently dominated by men, uh, the film's long line said. Hearing firsthand stories from girls and women who dared to aim higher, from a Lego-loving young girl who includes female pilots in her toy airplanes, to a courageous woman who helped lead shuttle missions to space. Fly Like a Girl shows us that women are in charge of their own destiny. So from beginning to end, the documentary presents successful women in aviation in their own words. Interviews include Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth, the Mars Generation founder Abby Harrison, 11-year-old uh, inspired future aviator Afton Kincaid, uh, Wagstaff, Patty Wagstaff, uh, Abingdon Mullen, pilot and owner of the Abingdon Aviation Watch Company, uh, Shasta Whites, the youngest woman to fly solo around the world in a single-engine aircraft, and former U.S. Marine Corps officer and aviator Bernice Armour, uh, and uh, former WASP B. Haydu, among others. So as a female pilot and aspiring astronaut, said Harrison, I'm so excited that Fly Like a Girl exists and that I'm proud to be part of the, pro of the project. I believe this film will show kids growing up today that both girls and boys, that, is, that aviation is in fact a place for girls and women. It was a phenomenal experience to be interviewed for the film at the Kennedy Space Center under the space shuttle Atlantis while being interviewed about my journey towards becoming an astronaut. The filming happened after hours, which meant we had the place to ourselves, uh, which I would love to do that at, at the, uh, Too right. the uh, Smithsonian. It was a once in a lifetime experience, according to her, that she will never forget. 
So this video, we're probably going to go, now that I learned about it, we're probably going to go watch it tonight. It's available on Amazon, mm. uh, Amazon Prime, iTunes, Microsoft, YouTube, uh, uh, Google Play, PlayStation, Voodoo, Fandango, all the usual places. So fly like a girl, go check it out. All right, we're going to give it, uh, we're going to, we've got a trailer here, so we're going to give a little bit of a, a watch to uh, what you can look forward to. As I say, and all the, these are all the places that uh, Armando mentioned that you can watch it. So uh, let's take a little look at the trailer. Well, this plane has Paddy Wagstaff in it. I made my own little Paddy Lego to be flying in it with my Star Wars. Girls make better pilots than boys because we're way smarter. No offense. The view was that we had to be tough and we had to be macho and people expect, you know, they have this stereotype of what a professional athlete or professional pilot should look like. Why let someone else tell you what you can do and what you can't do, or let someone else put an idea into your head of what you can do? You're in control of that. Girls are taught to be girly in images that they can't live up to, and I think they just stop believing in themselves. We're not capable? Absolutely not. Now we need to make sure we're giving each other the opportunities to get there. And we're not gonna wait for a break. We have to make our break. That first view out the window, it's overwhelmingly impressive. Most people don't get interested in aviation. They just think, oh, it's an airplane. It gives you travel, but it's more than that. Oh, I'm struggling for words to describe because flying is so beautiful. I could feel the aircraft accelerating and lifting off the ground, and it was so beautiful and so romantic. And from that moment on, I knew this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Don't be afraid to go be the only person there. Don't be afraid to be the first, you know. You might be the first person to do something, and that's okay. It's not the thing that you do for anybody else. And when people doubt you and don't think you can do it, just because they can't doesn't mean you can't. I mean, well, no, I'm watching wow. this weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's our schedules all sorted out. I need to take. Mm. Uh, what, what services was it on again? Just run, run Amazon. Through that again. Amazon, that's Prime. Amazon. Oh, good, excellent. Well, I, I'm going to take my because I, I say I've got a few days off actually, so I'm going to take my fire stick with me. I'm going to make sure I give that a watch. Uh, some very unkind comments in the uh, chat room. It has to be said. Also, uh, Captain Cruz, thanks for this. How come there are four blokes at PT UK? Then, I mean, it is a good point. Um, harsh but fair. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, Steph, uh, and again, Steph, Steph has just seen a yes. name mentioned in the chat. No, room. indeed, yes, absolutely. Don't panic, Steph. It's fine. As, uh, although I think Lanes is my favourite currently. What self-respecting one would join them? Which is probably fair, also. Uh, well, she's, <laughs> Steph has had plenty of practice on APG, so we're we're tame compared to those guys. Good point. Good, another good point, uh, indeed. But yes, absolutely, it looks like a cracking watch. So uh, if you haven't done so already, do make sure uh, that you watch it. Uh, certainly in the next few weeks, anyway. It looks like it's available from all decent streaming services. So uh, make sure you give it a watch. Excellent. So moving on to the last story, and. Uh, hmm. Who found this one? I get. I wonder, guys. This is on the simple flying. Apparently, Matt found this one. Did I? Thank you, John. Uh, <laughs> this is on the simple flying website, and uh, Iran Air's Boeing 747-200 diverts to Tehran with a cargo of sheep. Meh. Yes. 
You heard me right. <laughs> you heard me right. So oh. if you... Sorry. Oh. The chat room's going to be full of puns now. Yeah. Uh, if you thought flying long haul with 400 other people or a pongy cabin, spare a thought for the pilots of an Iran Air Boeing 747 flying a flock of sheep to Doha. If, this, if you thought the smell wasn't enough to knock you out, the flight potentially got worse. There was an engine shut down and the plane was diverted to Tehran. Alternatively, the, uh, alternatively, the pilots might have viewed it as a lucky break. Um, the report in the Aviation Herald alerted them um, to the report on Saturday, October the 17th, that the Iran Air 747-200, uh, registered as Echo Papa uh, India Charlie Delta, was operating a flight flying live sheep from Adana in Turkey to Doha. While in Tehran's vicinity, there was an undisclosed problem with one of the plane's four engines. The engine was shut down and the plane diverted to Tehran. And it landed safely with no reported injuries to crew or sheep. So um, what, caught the, what caught people's attention here? Oh, what happened to the sheep? According to the Aviation Herald, the sheep were offloaded. Uh, they loitered around the airport for over two hours in the duty-free department until the engine problem was sorted. Uh, the report notes there was no suitable aircraft to transfer the sheep onto. It's understood that Qatar Airways has a flight in and out of Tehran every day, but whether CEO Akbar Al-Baker wants them uh, despoiling his new carpet is another matter altogether. So the sheep spent the weekend at uh, Tehran Airport trying to find something to eat and also trying to find a bargain in that duty-free shop. And uh, they've included, there's also some social media posts as well included with this story uh, that show the sheep that uh, they're basically just milling around, really, um, with, with not a lot to do. Bless the sheep, poor things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what uh, it's, it's certainly a flight that I don't think I'd want to be on um, without a good air filtration system. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I I guess they were in the cabin then, weren't they? Because uh, mm. it'd be too cold for them in the hold, unless they <laughs> heated it. At least the at least the sheep probably paid attention to the safety brief. Mm. Well, well, they probably paid as much as as an ordinary pay, pa passenger. To be fair. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, I do love lamb. They're, the sheep are probably less needy than a flight full of Ryanair passengers. Oh, that's a oh. terrible slur. <laughs> that's a terrible slur. Um, and apparently... Uh, oh, we can oh, keep the sheep coats. Here we go. Sorry, the puns are are flinging into the chat room, oh, by no. the way. Here we go. <laughs> Ew, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't believe these stories. Thanks, Nick Codling. You know, oh. they are self-respect out of the window. Uh, more to that uh, story, Neville, uh, is Aaron is suggesting... Um, <laughs> Masks are good for something, after all. Yes, okay. A cargo compartment can be heated, apparently. Do you know how I know that? I was listening to that. What is the name of that? I know Pit Bang's on about it a lot as well, but it got it's got Benedict Cumberbatch and loads of other people. The 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 pilot um, thing. I've forgotten the name of the 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 the, pod, the show now. <laughs> Never mind. Oh well. Richard Adams says in the chat room. I assume one A would still be free. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, would Nev want to get on this flight? Though? I don't think. <laughs> well, no. That would make him the sheep herder. Yeah. It's something like cabin pressure, isn't it? The the, the, the thing I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, yes. the radio series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I love, absolutely love that. It's uh, If you haven't listened to that, by the way, make sure you, you look it up because it's available as a, as a podcast download um, from... Uh, 
um, in iTunes somewhere. But yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Anyway, Nev, Nev, you're looking a bit sheepish, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, there's right, no shortage of puns in the chat room. No, well, that's indeed, I'm going to. Anyway, yes, uh, I'm offended <laughs> at ptuk.com as being the suggested email from Lane there. Forward slash Nev. Yes, oh, rude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to move on now uh, while you lot will have a little titter to yourself. Uh, myself and Captain Al uh, had been having a chat a while back to the legend that is Dan Holly, who works for WeatherQuest, and that we were talking uh, about his very unusual hobby that is storm chasing and this is the final part uh, in this week's series of the, the top of a, of a thunderstorm and you know it was kind of what the flipping heck was that and then by the time you'd actually you know had time to register what you'd seen it was gone um and it was only in in later years that you know i discovered you know that sprites existed and was able to piece together the parts of the jigsaw. And I'm 99% certain that what I saw that night was indeed a Sprite. Um, and I've never seen one prior to it or since. So um, that certainly correlates with it being a rare event. As I mentioned earlier, you get to see thunderstorms from above quite frequently. Um, my kind of concern was that, um, you know, it, typically lightning comes from the bottom of, of uh, thunderstorms, you know, cumulonimbus clouds, anything that's going to come out of the top of it causes me concern if I'm above it. So, because um, as a generalization, it's whether it be one of those sort of old wives' tales, but the lightning that comes out of the top of clouds um, is more ferocious than the ones that come out of bottoms of clouds. And I guess we could slightly digress there because there are negative charge lightning bolts and positive charge lightning bolts. Um, and, um, you know, depending on how they've been created, if you like. So um, anything that takes you by surprise near a thunderstorm is something to be wary of, I suppose. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the naive person that is me sort of assumed that lightning always had to make contact with the ground in some way in order to become what they are. I, I, I'm guessing that's not true then, if they can go the other way too. Seemingly not. Dan, what, what do you know? <laughs> well, you can also get um, lightning that goes from one part of a cloud to another as well. Um, so oh, okay. not, all, not all lightning makes contact with the ground uh, in itself. That's what we call CG lightning, cloud-to-ground lightning. And you can get intra-cloud lightning and cloud-to-cloud lightning, IC and CC lightning. Um, so as long as you know there's a charge between two different areas or charge difference and you can discharge that then you know in theory lightning can occur um, but yeah as you say upward lightning is is quite rare um, but I guess because it's going against everything else it must be pretty powerful in order to be able to do that and uh, we've got another picture here that you very kindly sent us here that that is yeah. probably one of the most stunning pictures I think I've <laughs> ever seen personally. Um, cause I, I've seen like forks of lightning, but I've never actually seen one which seems to be in a continuous stream, if you like. And presumably there, obviously, it has made contact with ground. Yes. And that, that was a very flute capture as well. It was um, handheld. Um, <laughs> so to be able to get it in focus like that, I'm amazed I managed to do that, actually. But um that was in Oklahoma a couple of years ago. My storm chase friend there, Pete, uh, just giving you some sort of context of size of this storm compared to him. Um, but yeah, no, th th this storm was chucking out CG lightning all over the place. Um, and you, that lightning is probably, apart from 
the driving aspect because you don't, don't know what other road users are going to do mm. uh, around you. Um, lightning is probably the, the the biggest other risk of storm chasing because that is the one thing you don't know where it's going to, to crop up. And you can get lightning coming out of the anvil 10 miles away from the actual thunderstorm. So that's the one thing you have to be very wary of. So, I mean, there's there's so many uh, weather phenomenon that uh, that we're sort of aware of, and that, and of course there there is the one. And now, Al, I know you've seen these quite regularly, haven't you? Which is is that sort of like green hue that you see? They, I think they call it the Northern Lights. Is that correct? Yeah, there was just one thing I wanted to talk to Dan about just very briefly before we move on to the Northern Lights, uh, and that was microbursts, which are associated mm-hmm. with um, thunderstorms. Now. They're a relatively uncommon event in the UK, but I believe there were a couple of recent encounters of microbursts. Now, um, my understanding of microbursts are that it's just basically uh, where you have a a large thunderstorm, uh, the air just plummets out of this cloud in in sort of uh, an almost like upside down funnel um, Mm. at at quite a sort of uh, velocity, if you like. Um, and I was looking back as I, I remember that uh, there was a Delta Airlines uh, air crash in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, back in the early 80s, where it was, to the best of my knowledge within aviation, it was the first aircraft accident that was pretty much attributed to, to microbursts in so much as the fact that that was the primary cause of the accident. Um, and we have slightly sophisticated equipment for detecting microbursts at at airports, certainly in the United States. But I was just going to ask Dan what sort of uh, studies are being done in the meteorology world with regards to microbursts, because from my perception, they're quite a new phenomenon. Obviously, they've existed since time immemorial, but we're we're learning about the world every day. So what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that the thinking behind what creates one is... Uh, where you've got a layer of very dry air in the mid-levels. So you've got a big thunderstorm anyway, but if the air is very dry in the mid-levels, then a lot of the rain and the hail tends to evaporate in that. And through the evaporation process, you are drawing in latent heat from the environment around you to be able to to do the evaporation. And that in turn then cools the air even more than it already is. And cold air is obviously denser. So if you've got a lot of precipitation and hail that's evaporating very quickly in this very dry air, then the air is going to be cooling very quickly as well. And as a result, it's going to sink. And, and so that sort of accelerates down towards the ground. Um, and then, as you say, you just get this sudden burst of heavy rain, hail, but also very strong winds. And as I say, we were talking about wind shear earlier. The winds typically get stronger the higher up in the atmosphere you go. Um, so these downbursts, because they are coming down so quickly, they bring that high momentum air higher up down to the surface with all this rain and hail and so forth. Um, so they tend to be very sudden, but as you say, they they can be very uh, damaging, you know, for aircraft, but also for property on the ground and that sort of thing. As soon as it hits the ground, it then spreads out in all directions uh, as well. So you can still be some distance away from a thunderstorm and get the very strong winds hitting you from these sort of downbursts that happen. Yeah, they're quite quite damaging. We'll we'll put microbursts as a ten for danger for aircraft <laughs> as well, because. 
if you um, if you excuse the expression, it's almost as if the arse fell out of the thunderstorm because right, it, it much, just dumped yeah. everything out in one go. <laughs> in, in one throw. Uh, now, obviously, there are lots of other uh, forms of uh, weather phenomenon, uh, but one that, that I'm really interested in is, um, I think they call it the Northern Lights. Now, I presume that's, that's not the technical term, is it? What, what, what is the Northern Lights as we know it? That'll be the aurora then. Ah, um, right. <laughs> now you, you have actually cool seen one. See, you you have actually seen one, and I think there's a there's a fantastic photo that you took. So uh, where where were you flying uh, with this? Um, where you took this picture? So this was on the way home um, from one of our storm chasers. Can't remember the year. Possibly 2017. Uh, flying over Canada, uh, northeast Canada, about to go over the Atlantic back towards the UK, and I just happened to wake up. I think we'd gone through a bit of turbulence. And it woke me up and I looked out the window and I just saw it uh, there, just out, out the window. And I thought, wow. So, um, you know, it's sort of, I guess, two in the morning or something. Everyone else is asleep on the plane, but uh, I tried to get my camera out. And I'm desperately trying to take a picture of it. But the problem is um, the plane's moving because we were going through some turbulence. Um, but also the lights in the cabin were also sort of reflecting off the window as well. So I'm desperately trying to hold my SLR camera against the, the window holding a hoodie over it to try and block out all the light from oh, the cabin course, yeah. um, to try and get this picture. Obviously, it's not very much in focus there because it all happened very quickly. But but to see it, you know, with your own eyes um, is, is quite something, really. It, it, I mean, it's now, Al, I mean, presumably this is uh, something that, that occurs fairly regularly um, uh, when you're flying, obviously only in certain areas, I know. But have you seen the Northern Lights, as they call it? Uh, yes, I have been fortunate to see it on uh, quite a frequent basis. Um, surprisingly, uh, we can see them in the UK uh, quite often, although not to the intensity. <laughs> yes, but you need to be at 36,000 feet, ideally. <laughs> right, okay, that's me uh, to, to, be fair, the, to be fair, you can see it from the ground, at, um, and, and there are uh, Twitter and Facebook feeds that you can follow for um, seeing it. But you're not going to see the same sort of intensity that Dan has in that photograph. And I must commend Dan because I've tried to take photographs of them many times. And it is a challenge uh, to get a good photo of them, um, uh, primarily because they're basically filling the sky. And, um, you know, to, to focus on something that isn't a finite distance is, is really quite difficult mm. anyway so 10 out of 10 for the photography skills there i'm <laughs> envious um yes i've seen them um i've been fortunate to see some very very impressive displays um and uh yeah we see them quite often uh, usually in the winter um if you're flying in northern latitudes they they become easier to see uh where dan saw it um over canada i've seen it uh, many times when we used to come back from vancouver and calgary um, we'd come over the uh, northern part of Canada, which is very sparsely populated, and um, it's quite a northern latitude up there. And, yeah, you, you can uh, watch the aurora for several hours. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like anything else, there are some good nights and there are some bad nights and there are some nights where you don't see anything at all. But, um, yeah, it, it's great to watch. Um, hard to photograph, so I am envious. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to start wrapping up very shortly. But I, I mean, I've got a, a question really 
Dan, when it's going back to your storm chasing, obviously, what is the uh, what is the the must have kit if you're going to go on a trip like this? What mm-hmm. what must you have? With, I mean, it sounds like you do need the A team van with I don't know how <laughs> yeah. much equipment to be able to to try and predict. I'd say that the must have piece of kit is a meteorologist like Dan with you. That's <laughs> got to be the must have kit, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's certainly a help. Yeah. So I mean, what, what do you have to take away with you when you when when you're off to go and do a trip like this? Uh, okay, so I always take my SLR camera, obviously. Um, what I also need is a MiFi unit, um, yeah. ideally one or two of them, rather, on different networks because it can still be quite patchy, the signal. So if one drops out, it's always good to have a backup. Um, so in the US, I typically use Verizon and AT&T. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you pretty much good coverage of data. Um, an iPad with uh, radar on it, using the, the MiFi connection, obviously. Uh, and I also use that iPad for looking at where satellite data is and, and model data and all that sort of thing as well. So that's like my go-to sort of computer, if you like. Um, we need sort of antennas for the top of the car to sort of maximize our potential picking up a, of a signal. You can imagine if there's lots of chasers uh, in a remote area yeah. where the signal's quite weak, then you're all sort of trying to get the strongest to, signal. Yes, it becomes a competition uh, of aerials yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and lots of cameras, you know. GoPro. So basically making yourself more attractive to lightning then. <laughs> by Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what my finding it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> when I used to fly the Embraer 145, the weather radar had a... Uh, a lightning detector function mm-hmm. and we always used to call it the lightning attractor function because <laughs> whenever you turned it on you could almost guarantee you're going to get hit by lightning it's yeah. so good oh dear oh dear well dan it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you join us uh, thank you so much for your time give yourself a quick plug where because our, our audience are, are are wonderful and i'm sure they'd be they'd be only too a pleasure to uh, give you a, a follow so where can they find you on social media uh, I'm on Twitter at Dan Holly underscore. That's D-A-N-H-O-L-L-E-Y underscore. And of course, if anybody uh, needs any weather data of any description, then obviously they need to look up uh, WeatherQuest as well, which is who you work yes. for. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us, Dan. Thank you very much. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. Uh, Mike's alive, gentlemen. Don't say anything inappropriate, will you? Hello. What's the matter? <laughs> oh, nothing at all. No, we we were just um, discussing the weather situation. Right. Um, okay. Good. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. My thanks to uh, Dan Holly for uh, that great chat that he and I uh, had with Al. It was really enjoyable. So thanks. As I say, it's uh, uh, at Dan Holly underscore uh, if you want to uh, look for him. And obviously, I think it's at WeatherQuest as well uh, for uh, the company that he works for. 
It's a bit you we can't get down to go and do some filming out there with the, the old storm chasing. It'd be nice to see. Oh, uh, well, I mean, as I say, we, we sort of started earlier on because he was supposed to have been getting on a plane and doing that because it is normally sort of uh, June, July time that, you know, basically when it's all kicking off is, is when he tends to go out there. And of course, uh, like so many other people, it's all it had all been cancelled thanks to that COVID thing. So, uh, yeah. But Do you uh, get those major storms in your neck of the woods, Armando? The early oh, yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, we we get. Okay. I mean, the U.S. is so vast that there's just such a variety of weather systems out west. You get some pretty atrocious storms here in the east. You get some interesting storms. I, I think anybody from Texas, you know, North Carolina. I think the Northeast with this with their snow and out southwest with sweltering heat and just massive thunderstorms that built up because of that. Yeah, it's it's very unique flying in the U.S. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> So we're going to stick with you, Armando, to introduce the next part of the show. Yeah, guys, uh, we are a little bit ahead of time, so we have plenty of time to talk about military stuff. So, Matt, if you're ready, let's hit the button. This first story comes to us from the defenseblog.com. A Russian Air Force SU-34 fullback combat jet crashed in the Khabarovsk region in the Russian Far East, according to a Wednesday statement from the Eastern Military District. The Sukhoi SU-34 twin-seat all-weather supersonic medium-range fighter-bomber strike aircraft crashed during a routine training sortie on October 21st, according to their press office. They said that the pilots ejected. There is no threat to their health. The crew members have now been evacuated to their home airfield. Uh, the bomber crashed in a wooded and lowland area. Uh, the combat plane performed its training flight without an ammunition load and the crash caused no damage on the ground, according to the military. A commission of the Eastern Military District has been sent to the incident site to establish the causes and circumstances of the crash. This SU-34 multi-role supersonic fighter bomber is designated to effectively strike enemy ground and air targets day and night in any weather conditions. A similar story from the U.S., from Aviationist, a FA-18E Super Hornet was flying on a training mission in uh, California, Naval Air Station in Lemoore, when it crashed uh, near China Lake, California on October 20th. The pi that pilot is also reported to have successfully ejected from the single-seat Super Hornet and is currently in stable condition and at a uh, local medical facility. The aircraft which depart departed Naval Air Station Lemoore in California was on a training mission over the Superior Valley when it crashed around 10.20 local time near a rock formation on the west side of Highway 14 in Kern County. Now, the Navy did put out a statement on their Facebook page for the, the Naval Air Station. Uh, on October 20th, they said that the pilot involved in today's mishap has been released from the medical facility following a thorough examination. The Navy is continuing its investigation in cooperation with local authorities for the safety of the public and to allow for a complete investigation. The Bureau of Land Management has issued an emergency closure order surrounding the crash site. 
So two aircraft on training missions that uh, suffered. I, I feel like we've been talking about these every week. There's just been a mishap, but uh, thankfully, recently at least, it seems like all the crews are getting out safely. So, I mean, which is the most important thing, indeed. I mean, is that a lot of that uh, down to like things like training and stuff like that, or is it just sort of uh, just luck of the ejector seat? I guess. Yeah, it uh, both both of those things. The training certainly, it's not easy to punch out of an airplane. Uh, you know, it's going to be an emotional event, as I always say. Uh, you're you're probably already having a lot going through your mind at that point. So the decision to to eject from an airplane, I don't think can would be an easy one. I've never flown an airplane with an ejection seat, so I was always down for the ride or to just jump out the door um, <laughs> wow. but uh yes. but I, yeah the uh, yeah I, I suppose in an osprey you don't really need uh, an ejector seat is not going to be a great deal of use to you is it <laughs> nope uh. no helicopters that i've ever flown <laughs> we rarely wore parachutes when i flew c-130s we would wear parachutes in combat but most other airplanes that i've flown you just uh you're just you're riding it in no matter what <laughs> wow mm. Okay. Interesting fact. I know this is a military segment, but commercial-wise, Aeroflot, the airline, the Russian airline, has a flight SU-34. Crazy coincidence. I think not. Well, wait. <laughs> okay, lovely. Anyway, uh, should we move on? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the next story. This one is on the Drive.com. And uh, the headline here, F-117s make surprise visit to Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. Some of those who live and travel around Marine Corps Air Station Miramar got one heck of a surprise this week as a pair of F-117 Nighthawks recovered at the sprawling airspace situated north of downtown San Diego. The jet's visit comes as the officially retired F-117 force has drastically expanded its operations, now being used constantly for testing and aggressive duties in a far more visible manner, including during high-profile exercises such as Red flag. It isn't clear exactly what the stealth jets are doing there, but the aircraft that are participating in an exercise that takes place over the massive range complex off the southern California coast often stage out of Miramar. As part of their expanded operations, F-117s have ventured off the SoCal coast for drills on multiple occasions, as the war zone was first to report, uh, including working with carrier strike groups that are spinning up for deployment. As far as the possibility of staging out of a forward base, that would be an entirely new development. For over a decade, they have just called Topna Test Range Airport at the same place they spent nearly a decade during their formative and highly classified operational years home. They uh, remain more active than ever since their retirement at the base, and we do know that the 117s have landed at Edwards Air Force Base at least once in recent months, but that seemed like a diversion due to high winds at Topar. That is right how you pronounce it, isn't that, Armando? Tonopah? It's the Tonopah test range. Tonopah, yeah. yeah. Top by Ely, uh, Nevada in the middle of the desert. Thank you. Uh, which is not a scheduled stop, although we they have said that they have been uh, not able to confirm the exact circumstances surrounding that visit. 
if indeed they are staging out of Miramar and uh, this wasn't an emergency landing or some sort of diversion incident, it would mark a huge change in how the small and highly shy F-117 force is operated. At the same time, it would fit the, their expanding role as aggressors, which will likely last at least until the F-35A is fielded in a similar manner. So these F-117, I didn't realise they um, were retiring the uh, F-117 force, Armando? Oh, they, they were technically retired a few years ago, I think. Mm. Um, probably more than... Oh, see, you're stumping me. But it's been more than, than five, maybe even ten years since they were officially retired. If you had asked me a couple months ago, or even two years ago, would I see the F-117s flying, I would have said no. But so it's been really interesting and for plane watchers and and the military enthusiasts to have these airplanes not just flying around but flying around so publicly i mean miramar sits in the middle of southern california it's not exactly a, a secret airfield or anything like that so what a wonderful opportunity for people to see them flying but you think uh, i'll see one yeah you it's really interesting at all sometime yeah that's that's where I've always seen them. I, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to see them at air shows. I remember going to the Andrews Air Force Base air show, um, and there'd be a security guard and a couple dogs and a perimeter around it, but at least it made it to the air show. Uh, yeah, Lane Street, 2008, is when they were officially retired. Oh, right. so. Yeah. so moving on to uh, Nev with uh, Australian news. Yeah, this is on the uh, defenseconnect.com.au website. Uh, and it says that joint U.S.-Aussie training marks full operational status for RAAF F-35 capability. While uh, Royal Australian Air Force pilots and maintenance trainers based at Luke Air Force Base in Arizona wrapped up much of their training presence in 2019, the joint capability developed by the U.S. Air Force and RAAF has meant Australia's F-35 capability is now fully operational. The Royal Australian Air Force has returned a majority of its F-35A Lightning II pilots, maintainers and aircraft to RAAF base Williamstown in New South Wales in December 2019, but still maintains a joint pilot training and maintenance present at Luke Air Force Base in Arizona. Uh, the Air Force Base plays a central role in fulfilling Secretary of Defense Mark Esper's national defense priority of strengthening alliances and partnerships by training alongside the RAAF. Major Christopher Baker, who's the 61st Fighter Squadron instructor pilot and graduate of the F-35A pilot training program at Luke Air Force Base, attests to the importance of the training partnership between the US Air Force and the RAAF. Uh, he explained it is extremely rewarding to uh, reinvest and train both nationalities in the same aircraft with the same tactics. I feel like we contribute something to the US Air Force training mission by bringing our own unique perspectives, configuration, roles and environments to the mission, just like the US Air Force mission brings that to us as well. I think that's what's really useful about being combined. Well, according to the US Air Force's uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Tom Hayes, 61st uh, Commander, three components enabled the uh, successful integration of the RAAF and the US Air Force. The platform, common tactics and the objective of training the world's most capable fighter pilots. 
other than the way the aircraft is painted, they're all exactly the same. So we have that common platform of flying the F-35. The common tactic is shared, uh, sharing the same training strategies between the RAAF and the US Air Force, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hayes explained. Uh, Major Baker said that the COVID-19 delayed some of the RAAF student pilot training, but the student pilots are determined to complete their requirements swiftly and efficiently. Uh, I'm, I'm continually amazed at how the students learn so quickly. They come in the door knowing very little or nothing about the F-35, and four or five months later, they're flying high-end large force employment exercise missions with multiple aircraft in a dense surface-to-air missile threat scenario, Major Baker explained. The chances of the RWF and the US Air Force working together in a deployment environment is very likely, according to Major Baker. So that's uh, another good, good example of two air forces working together, just like uh, Captain Nick did when he was seconded to the RAAF as well in Australia, wasn't he? Of course he was. Again, yeah. That, yeah. that last line really sums it all up why it's so important, in addition to just getting them operational, that the interoperability between these aircraft and the crews and having joint tactics that they can employ together without uh, getting each, in each other's way, basically, you know, to have, fly in a complementary manner is so, so important. And we've been doing that for decades and decades and decades like you guys are talking about but with these new advanced aircraft it's so it's so important especially because they're interconnected too they talk to each other the aircraft in addition to the pilots so really really cool and really important mission and do the f-35s have to be of identical build in terms of uh, the, the two air forces to operate them in, in that way no they would have planned on that and they have data links between them they have this uh different systems that are uh, interconnected both with U.S. aircraft, they can do it with NATO aircraft, with other partner nations. So it depends, that, and, it, and especially an airplane like the F-35 or an F-22 being so much software programmable um, systems, they they can customize it to, to the specific mission. Sure, excellent. Hmm. Interesting. So moving on to the next story and uh, Matt, uh, we always like a bit of unmanned uh, jets. <laughs> yeah, drones. In fact, I suppose posh drones. Uh, uh, the uh, so this is the defense-blog.com, uh, and the headline is Boeing's unmanned combat jet edges closer to its first flight. So aerospace giant Boeing has announced that its loyal wingman unmanned fighter-like jet is one step closer to its first flight after a low-speed taxi test. The unmanned multi-role aircraft being sure, developed sure, sure. with... Okay, the, I'll go out that, that uh, one door. Um, sorry, uh, being developed with the Royal Air Australian Air Force, the RAAF, uh, recently moved under its own power for the first time a key milestone for the aircraft that's expected to make its first flight this year, according to a company news release. Air Force's partners uh, with industry 
to ensure we can find innovative solutions to meet our future priorities, said Air Vice Marshal Kath Roberts, the RAAF uh, Head of Air Force Capability. Boeing's Loyal Wingman project is a perfect example of what this collaborative approach can achieve. Seeing the prototype take to the runway for this low-speed taxi test is an exciting movement, uh, exciting movement, sorry, um, for a, another significant development milestone ahead of its first flight. Reaching a maximum speed of 14 knots, approximately 16 miles per hour, or 26 kilometers per hour on the ground, the aircraft demonstrated several activities while maneuvering and stopping on command. The low-speed taxi enables us to verify the function and integration of the aircraft systems, including steering, braking, and engine controls with the aircraft in motion, said Paul Riders, who's the Boeing Australia. Australia flight test manager. Three loyal wingman prototypes will be the foundation for the air power teaming system that Boeing will offer customers worldwide. Uh, the aircraft will fly alongside other platforms using artificial intelligence for such teaming missions. It has advanced design and flight characteristics including a modular nose section that's customizable for specific needs and a conventional takeoff and landing approach suitable for many missions and runway types. Runway independence ensures the aircraft will be a highly flexible and adaptable system for our global customers, said Dr. Shane Arnott, who's the program director at Boeing Air Power Teaming System. This latest test marks the full unmanned movement of the Loyal Wingman with our Australian partners and takes us a step closer to its first flight. What's more, Boeing's Loyal Wingman aircraft is Australia's first domestically developed com combat aircraft since World War II and Boeing's biggest investment in unmanned systems outside of the United States which is quite cool. Now, uh, we've, I've got a bit of a video here, Armando. Perhaps you could sort of tell us a bit about uh, what this is. So that is, this is of the drone. Is it doing its taxi? It is. They're doing a high-speed, well, you're about to show it, but it's a high-speed taxi test. They're doing it on the runway. And uh, this is similar to what you would do with a manned aircraft, well, but it's basically just uh, getting it ready to fly, seeing how it's going to accelerate and stop. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's sort of an exciting bit of kit, isn't it? It's. Uh, I guess this is the future, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly looks like it. it. Looks like an F twenty two without a pilot on board. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. Actually, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, where where do you sit on all this, Armando? How do, how do you feel about it? I mean, are you in favour of sort of unmanned <laughs> drones and stuff, or is it a bit of a bit of a difficult one for you to call? I think it's funny that you asked, where do I sit on this? Well, the pilot for any drone would sit on the ground. <laughs> yes, not in the air. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's not so silly. Yeah. No, I, th I think it's a it's a natural evolution in combat aviation or, or military aviation. But specifically with the loyal wingman, uh, as the name implies, this it'll be a swarm of these aircraft that are controlled by a single pilot or, or perhaps by an airborne command and control platform such as an E3 where you'll have the ability to launch these forward and uh, as we saw just a couple weeks ago an F-16 manned F-16 going up against a drone doing air combat the uh, the unmanned aircraft the artificial intelligence aircraft didn't didn't do so bad so if you can eliminate the the man from from the fight and just have it controlled from afar it gives you just an incredible advantage in air superiority uh, i mean obviously you, you'll still have 
in a in a wonderful world, obviously there would be the no no need to develop such things because we'll all live in peace and harmony, and everybody can exactly. just get on with each other. But uh, I guess you know sure. the reality is sadly a long way from that. Oh, no, it looks like it could be used for humanitarian needs, also. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> what were you going to say, Nev? I was thinking. Uh, I know this is a ridiculous statement, but if uh, there was no air force requirement or military aircraft requirement in the world, obviously there'd be a lot of people out of work. But I wonder how much the saving would be if you took everybody's military capability in the world and added it all up. I wonder what the military spend is. Uh, in the entire world, it must be gazillion. <laughs> it? it must be. Okay, and that's all Armando has to say on that. So uh, I think we should uh, <laughs> thank you for more much. than twenty quid. Anyway. I think it, it would probably make you sad how much how much any country, regardless of how much of their GDP is goes to to the military spending. I, I think the numbers are staggering for almost any country. I mean, we were just talking about. Uh, Thailand getting some new jets. We're talking about uh, the new trainers going to Africa. I, I'm sure anybody in, in any of those countries would see the price tag on on six new super Tucanos and say, you know, you could probably feed a lot of people with those. Yeah, absolutely. With you those could, military you could essentially trainers, but... you sort of end world hunger, couldn't you, just by not uh, not doing? Yeah, that. but I imagine that's a fight that's gone on for thousands of years. Yeah, huh? and uh, probably for several thousand more. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, look at the money we spent here in the UK, Matt, on, brand, on a brand new aircraft carrier, and we didn't have any aircraft to carry on the carrier. Um, okay, we've we've, we've, we've now got that we capability. Probably, yeah, we should probably glaze over that. But we have got some now. <laughs> we have got some now. <laughs> okay. Well, at the time, we didn't. Yeah, next. <laughs> so, moving on to the next part of the show. Oh, I love living in this country. <laughs> Roll on, Malta. Next. Anyway, um, next uh, part of the show. This is, uh, over the well, as you probably know, over the last few weeks, we've been playing out some uh, feedback from listeners who entered a competition uh, that we had set a few months back uh, when we had Andrew from the Plane Reclaims on the show. That was back over in episode uh, three uh, 324. And uh, we ran a competition and we asked you to send in stories about aviation in your life and uh, how aviation has affected your life. And we've got some feedback. We've got another one to play out this week. And this week's uh, Aviation in My Life comes from Nick Codling. Hello again, PTUK. This is Nick Codling in Devon. I've taken a bit of time to record some feedback on my experiences of aviation in my life. Having worked for much of my career as a mechanical engineer, I've been really lucky that over the years I've been able to travel to some amazing places for my work. Some of the highlights include trying not to get stuck in a rented 4x4 in snowy northern Sweden, being taken on safari by a customer in South Africa, and possibly the coolest being a visit to a speedboat manufacturer in Florida who took me out wakeboarding. It was only afterwards I realised they have things called alligators in Florida. However, I'm told they're scared of the engine noise. So for me, time at airports has been a familiar part of my life. And while I've always been squeezing my six foot two frame into an economy seat, as engineering isn't always the most glamorous of professions, I've always felt lucky to have the opportunity to go to some interesting places, meet some great people, as well as enjoy simply being in an aircraft flying around the world. Every time I fly, it still feels like a miracle to me that I can sit there in an aluminium tube doing 500 miles an hour 
while I sip my Bloody Mary and watch a good movie. Have a think about that next time you're bumping along at 35,000 feet and marvel at how one and a half millimetres of aluminium is all it takes to keep you in pressurised comfort while you drink your coffee, go for a pee or maybe even have a shower while you whiz across the sky. No pun intended. One of my roles involved me working on bespoke projects where I would design custom parts for specialist manufacturers. This might be anything from a thermal imaging camera or a military radio or a detonator for the mining industry. On one such visit, and a very memorable one for an avgeek, I went to the Rolls-Royce Aero Engine site in Derby here in the UK. It's an enormous site, the biggest for Rolls-Royce in the UK, with around 12,000 employees. And it's where they build the famous Trent Aero engines for the commercial aviation market. These are used on all manner of aircraft, such as the A330, A340, A350, A380, plus the Boeing 777, 787, possibly the 767, probably a few more besides. My visit was to talk to an engineer about the requirement for a telemetry connector. This would be a part used to measuring temperatures in an experimental build of a new aircraft engine. This would allow them to try new engine designs and refine existing designs in order to improve the reliability and efficiency of the engine. And my design challenge was interesting as generally an electrical connector won't be expected to have to cope with temperatures of several hundred degrees C. And this made for some unusual material selection. We spent quite a bit of time looking at specialist plastics and ceramics that could withstand being used inside a running aircraft engine. Ultimately, you might say the project didn't get off the ground, or perhaps even that it didn't fly, if you'd prefer getting good at these. But for me, the best bit was that I was given a really thorough tour of the factory. This has often been one of the highlights of my job. And for anyone that's ever watched those How It's Made programmes on TV, perhaps, like me, you might appreciate just how fascinating it is to see how manufacturers go about making things and what their specialist processes are. We started our tour with the area where they made the Trent engine blades. Now, if you've ever been up close to one of these engines, you might have noticed that the blades are an absolutely beautiful shape. It's one of those occasions where it really does feel like engineering is inspired by nature. The blade design is a complex series of compound curves and the manufacturer is achieved by welding the two sides of the blades together with thin titanium sheet and then inflating it with an inert gas in order to achieve the desired three-dimensional profile. The process is incredibly clever and the finer details are obviously something Rolls-Royce keep very much to themselves. Next on the tour was the engine assembly area. Now what struck me initially is that A, the fully assembled engines are massive, as in several stories high, and B, they are assembled on end. So instead of a, the engine being in the familiar orientation as you'd see it on an aircraft, the engine is literally a big stack of parts, with parts coming in on overhead cranes and being placed onto the engine a piece at a time, kind of like a giant stack of really expensive pancakes. I love a food analogy. Gradually it becomes so tall that engineers require gantries upon which to stand. 
in order that they can access the engine. And once the stack of engine parts has been completed, only then is the engine rotated round to the more conventional orientation and the ancillaries are added, completing the assembly of the engine. Seeing these things up close is really fascinating. And it makes you realize that an aircraft jet engine is a phenomenally complex piece of engineering that has developed over many, many decades. And it's become more efficient, comparatively quiet, while maintaining incredibly long levels of service and reliability. After marveling at the engine assembly, we then moved along to the engine test bay. As many of you will know, a great deal of time and effort is put into making sure that aircraft engines are not only reliable, but they're also safe. Now, we sadly had the Southwest Airlines incident in 2018, where one of their aircraft had an uncontained engine failure, and a fan blade came away and struck the fuselage, sadly resulting in a passenger losing her life. If any of you have ever flown on a Dash 8, it can sometimes feel quite unnerving if you're sat in the row adjacent to the propeller, knowing that you're only a couple of feet away from blades spinning at extremely high speeds and only the fuselage to protect you. On a jet engine, this risk is mitigated with the use of an external jacket around the engine. It's typically made out of an extremely tough composite structure and this is designed to contain the energy of a blade separating from the engine rotor. In order to prove their effectiveness, these structures obviously have to be tested. So the huge test bays allow an engine to be run up at full speed in safety. As a Trent engine might cost perhaps 20 million pounds, they obviously tend not to do blade off tests very often. Sadly, they didn't perform one in my honor. However, the day I was there, you could hear an engine screaming away in the test bay from several buildings away. It was impressive and scary at the same time to hear such a powerful engine at such close range. And clearly the engineers spend a lot of time doing reliability and performance tests. The blade off tests themselves are performed using an explosive charge at the blade route, detonating it when the engine is at takeoff thrust. The whole test is filmed by high speed cameras in order that the engineers can evaluate the results afterwards. It's well worth a look on YouTube as the results are spectacular and often impressive. And you can see the way in which the outer protective jacket will deform and distort and absorb the energy of the departing blades. Having concluded our tour of the site, we returned to the engineering offices and saw one final curiosity, which has absolutely nothing to do with aviation, but is fascinating, odd, and a bit scary in equal measure. I'm referring to the Paternoster lift, which is an elevator system where you have a circuit of lift cars which are constantly rotating in elongated ob-round track. So as you get to the lift doors, there'll be one lift opening for going down and one next to it for going up. And the lift cars themselves are moving at a constant speed, which means that you have to hop in as they pass by the opening and jump out again when you get to your intended floor. If you remain in the lift to either the top or the bottom, they simply carry on round the circuit and round you go again. I'm not actually sure if the building or the Paternotter lifts remain at the Rolls-Royce site anymore. I've tried to find out. It's possible that progress or health and safety might have put paid to them, but they're a real curiosity and there's only a few like it left in the world now.
If you check out Wikipedia, it shows a useful diagram to visualise how the system works. In recent years, some of the Trent engine variants have become somewhat infamous for reliability issues, and these have caused aircraft to be grounded while fixes have been developed. To some, this might have tarnished the reputation of Rolls-Royce, but for me, having visited and seen the engineers and facilities firsthand, I can honestly say I've never been more impressed by the intelligence, ingenuity and innovation I saw that day. The engineering was truly first class. Later on in my career, I worked for a manufacturer making parts for in-flight entertainment systems, and I had a hand in a number of projects for some well-known airlines. And I worked extensively on projects to allow provision for in-seat charging outlets, video screen assemblies, and even a patented system for a quick-release audio socket. Nowadays, my role tends to be mostly based in my native Devon, working on niche IT systems. Sadly, I don't travel very much at all for work now, and I must admit, I do miss it. And while my aviation experiences don't remotely compare to the likes of the legendary Armando or Captain Al, I certainly consider myself lucky to have enjoyed some great opportunities throughout my career and have been able to indulge my love of aviation and combine it with engineering. What a fantastic story that is. Well, I mean, we have our answer there. Awesome. We have our answer there, don't we, Nev, as to why his cable management was on point. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I tell you, I, this is why I'm loving this series, because it's so lovely to be hearing uh, from our listeners about, um, you know, some of their things. I mean, I've, I've chatted to, to Nick quite a lot on and off, and I had no idea of any of his background. It goes to show what a rubbish friend I am, really. So don't, don't waste your time time to be my friend, essentially, I think is what we've learned from that. Uh, Actually, <laughs> but... Nick, was, Nick was talking on there, Nev, about a, a certain company and a certain engine that we... Um, had a damn good look round last year, didn't we, at the uh, yes. Dubai Air Show? Yes, 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 we did. That was uh, that was fascinating, wasn't it? That was good, uh, good, good day out, wasn't it? There. Yeah, yeah, we had a, we had a good old the, the Rolls Royce boys really did look after us. Yeah, that actually that putting time. that um, big engine on was that a Trent One Thousand that was on the yeah. booth? Was it? Yeah, yes, it yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was incredible to see the the up close uh, detail of that and doing an interview. Uh, with them as well, recently. Mm -hmm. So yes, our, yeah. our thanks to uh, Nick for taking the time to to pen that and, and, and send it in to us. It was it's lovely to hear from him as well, rather than uh, you know you do an excellent job of reading these things out, Carlos. Don't get me wrong, but it's always <laughs> nice to hear. It's always nice to hear from from our lovely. Oh, listeners. it is nice. Yeah, Absolutely. it is nice. Yeah. So thanks for that, Nick. Well done. So coming up next week on the show, Matt, you've got an exciting announcement. Uh, yes, apparently. Uh, yes, very good news, ladies and gentlemen. This week I sat down with the legend that is uh, Captain of Al and uh, we recorded some more Plain Truths. So Series 2 of the Plain Truths, uh, or Plain Truths, sorry, starts next week. Uh, and this week we'll be talking, or next week, sorry, we'll be talking about engine failures. So that's our, our next part uh, in that. Uh, lots of uh, interesting things, because obviously here in the UK, spring forward, fall back, it means that the clocks are changing. So um, our clocks are changing, so it'll be 1900 UTC is when we normally start the show. But um, we've, we've been having a bit of a chat uh, dur during uh, 
the uh, interviews and stuff earlier. There may be a slight change to the usual start time uh, next week, but please make sure you're following us on social media if you want to catch the live show. Anybody listening to the audio version, it'll make no difference because it'll still be published at 10 a.m. on the Sunday as normal. But uh, yeah, so so when it's uh, 1900 here, it'll be uh, 1500 EDT and 6 a.m. AEDT, which is a silly time of the day to get up and listen to this rubbish frankly so uh, yes it's uh, it's going to be uh, going to be interesting for a, uh, a little while now nev of course now we've just learned uh, obviously during that that you're not going to be here next week a tragedy <laughs> for everyone i realize but <laughs> very much so the rock is calling and so uh, as it's my birthday weekend oh. next and I thought, well, we were supposed to be going to Belfast, but we can't go there. No. Because uh, we're not allowed anymore. <laughs> no. All the time. I was going to go and see the Titanic Museum, actually, because a lot of my chums in the audiovisual world did a lot of work uh, mm. there. So I was Have you been to... before? No, not to that oh, museum, no. Uh, but... uh, no I, I, I went there with friends probably about, I think it was about three or four years ago. Um, and it is uh, genuinely, if you do get the chance to go to to the Titanic Museum, it is incredible. It's really well done. I mean, it's quite harrowing some of the stories that you're reading as well. Um, but it's so well done, so well hmm. done. Well, I shall be going there for a while. No, okay. they, they're locked up. <laughs> However, I will be going to uh, Gibraltar, which is also quite a, a windy runway at times. Uh, so let's hope we don't end up in Malaga or Faro or something like that. But um, yes, yeah, so looking forward to a couple of days there in some warmth, all being well. Um, and then uh, doing a bit of filming for the A320 podcast, guys, uh, after that. And oh. then the day after that, when I come back, we're doing an interview in Duxford. I know, very looking forward. More of which uh, later on. Indeed, yes, looking forward to that. And now, obviously, uh, we, we've obviously screwed up here because you're both on the same podcast this week, and contractual arrangements require that uh, normally it's either Armando or Nev. Uh, but I understand we haven't got you either next week, Armando. <laughs> yeah, uh, next week, anybody that has a long, successful career in the military. Or our, I, you could argue any long career it never gets there by themselves. Um, so the military is no different. The reason I had a successful career was because of good leaders, uh, good followers, good teams. And one of my old commanders is getting promoted to full colonel. So he's a, oh, an wow. 06 in the Air Force. So I wouldn't have had the career that I had without his help and his mentorship. So I'm flying down to Barksdale Air Force Base, uh, same day, going down that morning, coming back uh, Friday evening, but I'll, I'll be missing the, the podcast um, to attend his promotion ceremony. Well, I think that's an excellent excuse, Armando, and uh, we look yeah. forward to hearing all about it when you return. Uh, great news. Uh, uh, Carlos, uh, what, what's in the diary for you next week? Time is this week. <laughs> right. Driving, driving my driving my vehicular lorry type vehicle um, right. across the main streets of East Anglia, and actually, Matt, I will say I did see I did see our, one of our uh, good friends and listeners, uh, Lee, twice today. Oh, did you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> having having messaged me saying, "Is it, you know where is he? I haven't seen him." Where's Lee? I haven't seen him. I know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's waving. Yeah, waving. Yeah, I while while I still can, I'm actually going to go and have a drink with uh, Lisa and Lee on on Saturday evening. So you know, send them our, our regards. I will 
well indeed yes before they change the rules and regulations here so that we can't mm. socialize and meet up here but uh, there we are i've actually got some holiday next week booked and i'm going down to bristol to take my mum to go and see one of her best friends um so i've got a couple of days in a hotel a dog friendly hotel and it'll just be me oh. and alfie for two days and i literally cannot wait i've got two days to do naff all watch whatever the hell i like on telly and then just take the dog for a walk. I just can't, I can't think of it. I can't wait. I literally cannot wait. So I'm next week so you tired. should be you should be like the most refreshed man yep. in the world. Yeah, yeah. That is that is the dream. Certainly, we'll see. But uh, that's what we're hoping. Uh, if you want to follow the show, then obviously you can search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All you need to do is search any social media channel for Plain Talking UK. Uh, the email is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. The website www.plaintalkinguk.com. Or why not, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll get notifications when we go live, and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room. Go to youtube.com and search again for plain talking uk interestingly enough obviously uh, all of our previous back catalogue of shows are there also all of the plain truth segments are all there available for you uh, the john hutchison series which was just fantastic that nev did for us uh, well a while ago now i'm trying to think when that was it was a while back uh, but that's all available so you can listen and learn about his fascinating career when he had a chat with uh, nick anderson and uh, why not also go to amazon uh, on uh, our, their website or using the link through our website I should say uh, do your shopping through the Amazon link on our website you can help uh, contribute to the running of the show by simply doing your Amazon shopping which Carlos I know does very very regularly I, I do. indeed and actually this week it's been cat, cat food cat food right okay good well that saves us looking it up later uh, and uh, yeah one of the nice things about, as I say we actually had a voucher from them this week which was slightly frightening we actually got a £40 voucher so thank you very much to everybody who's been doing doing the shopping through the link and we've actually put that towards a new hard drive haven't we that's going to be arriving at the yeah. BT UK broadcast tower here because we've been doing so many shows now I keep running out of hard drive space so we need to do something <laughs> about that uh, also other ways of contributing to the show are with Patreon why not become a Patreon uh, you can decide however much you're willing to donate towards the show uh, again search Patreon so it's patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com search for Plain Talking UK and you'll find our pages there and you can uh, you can sort of subscribe to the show as I say we're so grateful to all of our Patreons because we know that times are very tough at the moment so the very fact that you wonderful people are still contributing it just means mm. so much to us I mean words cannot uh, kind and of say how... PayPal donators as well absolutely yes yeah, PayPal yeah. as well so uh, yeah anyway all the details you need uh, to do that if you'd like to help out the show oh don't forget we've still got, we've got lots of t-shirts as well we have got lots of t-shirts and mugs mugs as well mm. if you want a mug uh, then they're also available from our website uh, so that's it boys and girls that's where we bring the show to a close um, I don't know who should have the last word today what do you reckon I say we give it to Nev I always love Nev. hearing his voice <laughs> oh, nice. well it's been a great uh, great show as always thanks everybody, to everybody for listening and watching as well on live stream and YouTube. I say I shan't be here next week, but you will be in very capable hands of uh, Matt and Carlos and maybe one or two other guests as well. But uh, from all of us here, thanks for listening. See you. Take care, Bye. everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>